Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Art on Your Sleeve, a podcast about art, design and music. In this episode, I interview Hugh Feather, who is the man behind the record sleeve designs of Soft Cell in the early to mid-1980s. He carried on working with Mark Armand when Mark became a solo artist and went on to international fame. This interview was used to put together a pop art article for issue 17 of Classic Pop magazine, but due to word count, a lot of information had to be left out of that article for print, so it's quite nice to be able to share it with you now in this podcast. I hope you find it interesting, and I want to give a big thank you to Hugh Feather, who met me in Southport, his hometown, where we spent an afternoon drinking lots of coffee in a very nice cocktail bar, um, and generally gossiping about lots of things. I had to cut that out of this um, interview, though, because I didn't want to get Hugh into trouble and I didn't want uh, Classic Pop getting sued for slander about some of the things that we talked about. (laughs) So enjoy it and, uh, yeah, feel free to leave comments. How did it start? How did you... um, Did you go to art school with Mark? I went to... It starts before that. Right. Uh, Mark and I were at grammar school together. Here in Southport? Yeah, in George V. So I was quite happy at school, and Mark and I met ourselves because I was being Jewish and loud-mouthed. I was friends with everybody, and our gang was very, very large. And our gang incorporated a couple of bullies, school bullies. And the bull- one of the bullies was having a go at Mark outside the art room one day, and I just stopped her. I thought it was really unfair, and I told the guy I thought it was very unfair. You're picking on this person, and blah, blah, blah. And that's the first time Mark and I actually kind of became friends. And then we started swapping records, and um, we didn't hang out at that point, because he lived uh, uh, not far away from me, but not within a walking distance. And um, suddenly, uh, as O-levels and mocks were coming up, my world completely disintegrated because my dad died. So it was just me and my mum being an only child. And overnight, I had to kind of become an adult. And it was most peculiar. I failed, I think I got three of my O-levels, art, English and maths. And tradition at KGB, if you don't get five O's, you're out. And that's exactly what happened for headmaster. Has a goodbye speech and sees each candidate individually, but basically said that I, w- I shouldn't be still at school and perhaps a career in art would be something I should think about, but he didn't know what to suggest about that. So did you then go on to art school? From so there? at age 16, um, I met Mark in the queue on enrolment day at art college and he was doing... Uh, GAD, which is General Arts and Design, and I'd been accepted for the two-year foundation incorporating A-levels. Right. So and where was that here? That was here in Southport Art College, which was next to the Southport Technical College. For me, it was a two-year foundation incorporating A-levels, and that's what I did. So Mark and I were together for my final year of foundation and his first, his only year of foundation. Okay. And, and we formed this theatre group. With, oh, cool. uh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, it was, a, it was a, quite a serious theatre group. We were, our first big show was at the Arts Centre, which is on Lord Street. And it oh, was yeah. uh, The Sport of My Mad Mother. 
by Angelico, which is a very peculiar kind of gang-based play I did for the set. <laughs> and that's Mark's first stage public uh, major uh, theatre performance. And he so was so you designed the stage yeah. set and he, he was, what, acting or singing? Yeah, no, or? He, he, he was acting and, and I was acting. We were all acting, right. but we all had dual roles. Okay, so how old were you? Were you 17? 17. Yeah. And Mark and I also have a, a clown... Uh, clowning outfit together. Uh, our theatre company had about 12 people in it and we did loads of different things, street theatre, loads of stuff uh, out and around town, just making nuisances of ourselves basically. Brilliant. We both worked at the Southport Theatre, so oh, okay. we, we totally understood the backstage craft of things. Excellent. Mark actually was first employed at the Southport Theatre on Spotlight oh. and I was a stagehand. And uh, yeah, we were at college during the day. And so, were you doing these things together, or it was, it was it just accidentally? Because Southport's no, a small um, place, isn't it? And Southport is a very small place. We were together at college, and together he worked for a lady in a unisex shop. And when he got fired, I took over. So our lives were constantly. We hung out together. We were best friends, and by the time. I suppose the first Christmas at college rolled by, we were absolutely tight by that time. And Polly, did you go to Leeds? No, um, I went to Nottingham, Nottingham Trent Polly, and to do theatre design, Mark went to Leeds to do fine art performance. And I went up every other weekend uh, to Leeds to help him with shows. I used to design the shows that he was dreaming up. So again, that, that best friend thing kind of just extended out sure. to college. And after three years, I'd done masses and masses of shows by this, that point, by the time we both graduated. He'd done a few of his own shows. Mark, actually, after he uh, graduated from Leeds, he came down to live at uh, my girlfriend's house here in, in Nottingham. And he was there for a year, year and a bit, and then went back to Leeds and formed Soft Cell. In the meantime, I was got a job, my first job at the Nottingham Playhouse, and I was doing really well. I entered in the props department, and because we, there was a new regime and a new director, they just said goodbye to Richard Eyre, who left Nottingham to go and do the National. Mm -hmm. So again, the director for three years that I'd gone every week to see his shows was now running the National. So again, that was like, oh, <laughs> this isn't just a small little oh, thing. No. This is this is big fucker. Uh, and so Mark came down to Nottingham. I got a job. It was all lovely. New romanticism was coming up. This is 1980, then. No, this is... I graduated 79, so this is 79 into 80. Right. And Mark came down, you know, Christmas 1980. So Soft Cell was formed then? Soft Cell was formed just uh, as the New Year turned, or just as Christmas turned in 1980. And in those... And I've seen some... Um, some pictures of the, um, the old sets, and I noticed you got credit for making the, the stage yeah, sets as well, yeah. the, the actual soft cell. Yeah, we made that at uh, Nottingham Playhouse. <laughs> that was done in the prop shop at Nottingham Playhouse. Why not? You know, I was in the theatre, yeah. paid, and it was the most I'd ever been paid. Why not employ the, um, the workshop to make something up for me and my boss to help the pin hinges and in the right place to make it transportable because we knew we'd have to take it on the road so I found a company to do the neon bars and that was a separate box that 
pin hinged onto the hole. It's a, it's a great little thing. It was a great, it's a great thing. Yeah. The name came first, then, and you yeah, made them. Right. Correct. I wasn't sure yeah. if that was the. Oh way no around. no no! The name came first, and I was like, <laughs> you know what we've got to have on stage? And I'm like, ah, wow, wow! How do we do it? We just tape record. I'm like, no, you need yourself with neon bars. <laughs> first thing that you did for soft sound because you didn't design the no, not the, the first uh, that, that was, this is where you came on board yeah. wasn't it? Um, I remember when Mark brought me the EP of this and I said I said we have to actually keep this sign it's really important then Chris Needs who was a friend of Mark in Leeds uh, did that illustration which I thought was great for the first single but it just wasn't it wasn't what we kind of... It wouldn't make a national campaign yeah. in one sense. So that when the album came about, we, we, we managed to keep the, uh, the box, the neon box. Dave actually got that made, uh, again, in a workshop in a college in Leeds. And this... this so you were, you were involved... Because I'm not sure what the... This came out and there was obviously Tainted Love and then that came out after the album, yeah, didn't it? Correct. So did you have any involvement in the design of this other than the... Yeah. Um, that the photographer Peter Ashworth was a mate of ours, and we, we you know, we worked together, um, and the boys were kind of whisked off to do this photo shoot for the cover because we wanted we wanted to plan a whole campaign. And just basically, there wasn't time. Right. That was the point. The early soft cell days were all about catching up yourself for example the tainted love video happened two years after the songs <laughs> hit you know yeah and our life was full of catching up with ourselves so this was another thing of my influence is multicolor and strong opposing color and that to me was that whole neon neon soho wet street signage yeah. night and for it's me perfect, that, that's what i wanted mark and dave to be shoving, and that's exactly what Peter brought in that photo to him. And what about this? Did you stick the cutlery on there? No. <laughs> actually, Peter did that. I, that was a, a photo session. I was. I did. I think if I was there, I arrived late. But I have a funny feeling Pete had actually told me what he was going to do, and I was very happy that he was going to do something <laughs> kind of very bedsittery, but kind of surreal at the same time. Yeah. And then they decided to put my uh, soft cell on the back of the cover with my name and yes. that then was the launch of the fact that that was our design team right you know that not design team that was the launch of the band as a commodity that we have a songwriting pair that perform and play and record and are the band and we have a professional setup around the band there's a manager and there's a designer design team and did you work for, was the photography usually with Peter Ashworth then? Yeah. Was it? Right. Not all the time, uh, because what we learned in the 80s was we got masses and masses and masses of art college photographers coming out that all wanted to do for, uh, take Mark's photo or the band or Mark and Dave's photo. So we could pick and choose, and we did an awful lot. There was a um, pop art feature on him, actually. I, did, really? I didn't do that one, but someone else did it because he did his work's beautiful. Yeah, isn't Peter's it? Um, has a very particular eye, 
And I like to think that part of his colour sensibility is also my colour sensibility. This, the sodden, not not just bleeding colour, but sodden yeah. colour. Well, it all almost goes like number 12 on the knob. <laughs> it goes Super a bit wrong. Yeah. Standing in the door of the pink flamingo crying in the rain. So we say hello, wave goodbye. Yeah. That's where you, that's the first illustration, is it? Yes. And what, what was, was the, because I've got a question here about the process, mm. so what was the creative process? Was it just pretty much you go away and do what you want, or did you have a brief, was it? The first, the first rough I did for Say Hello, Wave Goodbye looks nothing like that. It actually looks like altered images kind of cartoon. Right. I, I love Tom Bell's stuff. And okay, by 1980, that was old, 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 ashes to ashes and all and that. And Connor used it as well. Everybody you? used Tom Bell. And it was kind of, Tom Bell took over in kind of the Athena print. So the first thing I did was like some strange headshot with a, a foppy a foppy hairdo and a, a, a separated hand going through like the deaf gestures, sign language doing right. goodbye. I mean, it was completely not that, completely not that. And Mark took one look at it and went, no, <laughs> would you just do what you do? Just do, you know, you... Gene Kelly thing, so <laughs> you got my theatrical rather than my graphic, because this is how I designed theatrically. All, all my sketch pads were full of these type of drawings. So this is like the sort of thing you would have done to um, illustrate a stage set, yeah. almost really, the steps and the yeah. figures and things. Yeah. And also, I noticed what was going on with a lot of the work that you were doing as well. There were, there were multiple versions, so the twelve inch had a very different that, drawing. That was very, very important to us. If you if you're saying that you exist as a band and you're the full deal, i.e. you've got the whole vehicle going in the same direction, why wouldn't you have a different 12-inch, a, a, a different European or different American cover, a label that's considered the label on the 12-inch different from the label on the 7-inch? The sticker, what that sticker should... You know, we were battling with phonogram every single day. Because it's quite indulgent, day. isn't it? Really, we wasted so much <laughs> money, but you know, no one. It was only the manager that was well, not even the manager. It was the accountant that was going, "Are you mad?" And we were going, "We don't care." But you know, this is what happens. It's the art, isn't it? When you get a number one worldwide selling single, suddenly you're elevated to a level where people say, "Do what you want." No one tells you that "Do what you want" in the end will kill you and will bankrupt you. And that it's complete, well, to some people, it's a complete and utter waste of time and money. To me, it was the whole point of taking in a breath. It was like we were doing something that we absolutely, totally believed in and that it was important to us. We were all three of us berserk music fans, you know, the sort that would grab a cover and live with it and read those lyrics and memorise those yeah. lyrics and look at the sticker that was on and wonder, had Bowie actually selected those colours or, you know, had, had Brian Ferry actually decided that that's where that listing should go? Those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't us. 
that was what it was like in the northwest. And Dave was exactly the same in Blackpool. So I know it's just not peculiar to our version of Southport OCD. I know that our entire generation was as nuts about music and were fanatical about every form that mm. music kind of carries along with it. Um, the big word is branding and marketing, but we didn't no. know about that in no. those days. To us, it was just part of the album. So when you were doing stuff like this, so there's the illustration side, there's also the layout side. This mm. is pre-Apple Mac and all that. Yeah. So you presumably it was using all done by set hand. And, yeah. um, and how that involved... was hand-drawn, actually. Oh, was it? Yeah. How involved was Mark with, the, with that? Because <laughs> he used to look... He used to say, right, what we're having... Oh, my, my sketch pads would come out. You have to remember, Mark and I were living together. Uh, or in this particular point, when he was still had the house in Leeds. So when around this time, were you living together um, from the album release up to? Actually, before then, he was living with my girlfriend. Then he moved back to Leeds, got his house in Leeds with Annie Hogan, and I used to go up there. So basically, if we were in London, we were living. We shared a hotel room. Uh, to keep, we were aware that the costs were huge, so he he kind of liked having me share the room with him, and also I could watch him because sometimes <laughs> he did need watching. He needed he needed our friendship as it as was professionally in London at the start, and it was a bit of home, mm. and it was business because you know we'd have an idea while the television was on or while we were having dinner and suddenly the next day that would be the answer to the problem that right. was given to us the day before. So it became a way of communication, it became a way of business and it became a way of life. And that even went to when he started getting flats uh, in London, I would be the other person in the other bedroom. Right. So um, it's hard to say where one stopped and one okay. started, but because I was always there, and if I was there, my pens and my sketchbook and my pencils were there, work could be done at any time of the night. Or when I say work, it was never work. No. It was like, have you got that ready to give to him in the morning? Or have, what we're we doing for next week? And that's when the pad would come out and say, this is what I'm thinking of. Then I'd go, come back to Nottingham, go and see my typesetter who would then start the blowing <laughs> things up and I'd hand draw things large and then we'd shrink it down. You know, that whole do and make process was my entire career. Moving on to Torch. Mm. Um, Another illustration, you tell me a bit about that illustration. <laughs> that illustration is called. Is it pastel? It's pastel. problem. <laughs> no, it's uh, Caron Dash and oh, Pen right. and Ink. Right. All this early work is Caron Dash, which is water soluble crayon. I used to love them. <laughs> Absolutely. I was the Caron Dash kid, so that is Caron Dash. Right. And what um, was the brief there? I say brief. There was. Mark said, <laughs> What are we going to have? Um, and I said, What do you want? And he said, Something torchy, <laughs> weird, odd, and he uh, he bought me uh, a book on Manon. It was uh, someone's particular production of Manon that had a bald-headed dancer in it, and I just thought he's buying me this, and this is 
the standout image from this book, I'm going to create my torch song, uh, torch singer that looks like So it's like not based this. on Cindy Ecstasy? No, not at all. Cindy Ecstasy is based on that. Right. That's interesting to know, It's actually. the other way around. Okay. And the tears and the tantrums that we have from Cindy wearing a bald cap, I can't begin to tell you. She kicked off like crazy, and Mark and I stood in the mirror looking at her going, it's a little bit severe, but I'm standing by my guns. This is what we want. And then we're instantly like, God, phonogram, we're going to ban it. Because everything we'd ever done was either too gay, too much, people won't get it. And we're like, good, that's the point. Yeah. You know, for every person that doesn't, or for every hundred people that won't get it, there'll be one that does, and that's the person yeah. we're talking to. So we were very aware that all the stuff we were showing the public was going to cause trouble. And, you know, we did have that punk mentality that, fuck it. Let it cause trouble. What's a manager and an accountant for, if yeah. not to mop up after you? So we, not that we ever displayed that that kind of attitude in public, but that's absolutely the attitude that we showed to all the the, right. the money people and the, the the official major label people. And I was totally unapologetic that it's it's a very camp game. It is. <laughs> So, moving on from that, we get back into photographic work again, yeah. or treat, treated well, photographic work. it's actually, a, it, it, it was a black and white lift uh, image that I blew up and got very, very grainy, and a big love of my life is hand-colouring photos. So, rather than hand-colouring a photo, I hand-coloured a lift. Right. And lift is just black on white. Everything else there, all any half tone or anything that looks photographic is what I drew into it. With marker or both marker, um, Canon dash, and oil. Uh, no, not oil crayon. Um, China graph pencil. Right. Right. Okay. And what was this picture from? Is that still from a video? Or it's from the what video when they're driving around uh, London in the sports car. So you got to do this leave after the video yeah. was done. Okay. And this was strips of torn paper. Oh, it looks like it's been done with a big down. fat marker, but no. it's actually strips of... Yeah, strips of ripped paper. It was about this big and then shrunk. So then on to where the heart is. Yeah. Um, again, two sleeves. Yeah. Is it markers of childhood? No, it isn't. It's not. It's the, uh, we did loads of uh, different things for that. Um, trying to think. There was a 7-inch, 12-inch. There was an American copy that was a different 7-inch sleeve. Um, yeah, it's... Um, they're just bad paintings. <laughs> but were they done specifically for yeah. these releases that weren't from your portfolio? Oh, no, no, no. For me, it's my reaction to something, and this was my reaction to that track and the story surrounding it. It's it, the, All the tracks, um, not all the tracks, but this particular track is, is kind of child school-based, hence the grey school uniform. Yeah. And... I wanted it to be slightly mongoloid, <laughs> or not mongoloid 
as in, oh look, it's a painting of a mongoloid child. No, but it had to have a sense of other, but it also had to have a sense that it could be translated as a bad painting. Right. Or when I say bad, I mean outsider. It, I wanted that like kind a of kind of deliberate uh, naive yeah. sort of exactly. Who's the person that you woke up next to today? Numbers. Quite a different, very, a very red approach. Was well, was, but this was a back. This was basically the back cloth, um, the colours of the back cloth that we used on stage for the tour of. Uh, yeah, for uh, for the American tour. So at the front, of, you know the. Um, 12-inch single with the black and white face on the back of it, screaming with, oh, yes. with the lines. I think I've got that. That one. is, in fact, my favourite drawing. That, that one? No. no, it's the black and white version. I have a Which is, I'm trying to think what it's on the back of. I know the one you mean it's, now. I've definitely You Only it. Live Twice. It yes. is the, uh, that was the a single track out of the UK. And it? it was the 12 inch uh, cover, had this black and white charcoal, well, it's, uh, it's not charcoal, it's uh, oil pastel. Very, very black. I used black and grey oil pastel on a big sheet of white paper, and it, it became, well, it was my anger, I suppose, and my frustration. That became the symbol for that kind of. Thang. So what I wanted to do on stage was have a giant version of that screaming face with all the construction lines so it looked like a great big drawing. So we did that, we painted it in the States on gauze. Actually, we painted it at Nottingham Playhouse on gauze. That's actual size. Yeah, and then transported it to the States. And the girl that I got to help me paint it at the uh, Nottingham Playhouse, she didn't fix the pigment so when we got it to the states and opened it up in the studio it faded so it then had to be drawn over which didn't actually harm it but it kind of made it a lot lot darker and the reason I wanted it on gauze was because we were going to reveal behind it a backcloth and this was the backcloth that we were revealing so it was a kind of black and white show until we get to Martin and suddenly all the lights go down and, and the backcloth was basically, um, did I put the actual back, the backcloth involved three faces that we actually used on the t-shirts, uh, same, similar kind of faces, right. devilly, odd, um, an amalgam of different kind of uh, ideas and slightly Faustian, but they were uh, gathered as a group of three in the middle of this kind of smoky, watercolory, bleedy background. So from going from a whole black and white image on stage with Mark and Dave in front with the machines and the, uh, I think we actually had a drummer on that tour, could be wrong. But it was more than the two of them on stage by this time. And so, to, for Martin to reveal this this kind of glowing devil of a three-headed devil with the background was kind of a, it was a very old theatrical thing Mark and I wanted to do for ages and ages and ages and it actually worked really well for this campaign.
So that's the singles. We've done the first album and the last album. We haven't talked yeah. about the art of falling apart. No, this was a, a, an absolute team effort. Both Mark and Dave joined in. We, we built basically a sand pit and filled it full of shit. And then Mark and Dave got in it. <laughs> and that was done with Peter Ashford again. Did you make the masks? Uh, no, these, th- this is actually Mark's artwork from college. Um, this is what his shows used to be like, very Cocteau-esque. But anarchic and punky, but with a covering of Cocteau. And so Mark wanted to do something for the cover of his album. So, of course, he, he made the masks for Mark. So Dave. Peter was directing the photo shoot and you were kind of involved with arrangements and um, stuff? Or? No, we kind of directed it, Peter. <laughs> Peter just, just pressed the button. <laughs> that was kind of, I mean, Peter would give direction on all the photographs, but in fact, it was the moments that we'd say, ooh, do this, this, and that, those were the ones that we chose. Soul Inside. Mm. A wild celebration. It certainly <laughs> was. Certainly was. That. I mean, just the, 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 where's the one with the crazy stuff on this? Yeah. It's hilarious yeah, kind of. Well, that was a Peter Ashworth session that was uh, clearly. <laughs> and is this yours? Have you done? No, that, that's Mark and Dave. <laughs> well, that's, I've just gone wild with spray yeah, cans. Yeah, and Peter as well. Because <laughs> there are lots of variants I, of this. Aren't I you? think I. Uh, I did something, I can't remember what I did. But There's another version of it, I think, that's this, obviously. That was the, the American one, I believe. And again, this is the start of me doing the hand colouring stuff, which actually was perfected, not perfected, but it got a lot, lot better on my solo career. But this oh, was our uh, kind of rocky, guitar-y kind of nihilistic stage. So... It kind of it doesn't hark back to punk, but it kind of has that rough edge, yes. and that that's when the kind of the pens went away and the crayons came out. And is the um, all the handwritten stuff yeah, is that a deliberate me. thing, or is that uh, because we didn't have access to easy no. types? Of no, we, we 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 like we did have access to really <laughs> easy. No, it's again, it's clear that this is all about what it looks like on a rack what's surrounding it and we wanted our stuff to look like nobody else's stuff that's exactly what happened it, yeah. you can't say our stuff is bland you cannot say our stuff kind of gets lost in a sea of big hair and big shoulders it leaps out at you and it kind of my phrase is it demands to be looked at even yes. if you hate it it demands your attention and that's exactly what we wanted Then we go on to the final album and the singles, yeah. and it's a, a massive about turn, isn't it, in terms of style? It's yeah. very weird. Yeah. yeah <laughs> what they, was that about? Well, they finally came to the conclusion, that, well, Mark finally came to the conclusion that this is as far as he wanted it to go. The band itself, or? Yeah. Right? He, he, the Mamba stuff was happening. The Immaculate Consumptives was happening, you know, all that stuff was um, was becoming as well. It was becoming more important than than the soft sell stuff. And Dave was getting an awful lot of interest 
about production and that kind of stuff. The two of them were never as tight as one imagines band members to be. They were tight at college, mm. but it wasn't a best friend. It was a working band. And lots of people that have never been in bands don't really understand that ethic, and, and it's hard to imagine. So back to this. this, yeah. this so, tell me a bit about the style here. Okay, it, so... Um, it is so different to everything. It is, and it's because this comes... this absolute image comes from a book about um, how people in a mental institution use uh, therapy to heal or harm themselves and this was a chapter about uh, patients drawings and uh, it's basically three different drawings from three different people that we found and we just loved. So they're not your drawings no, or your hands or anything? No, they're, they're patient. Not. These are mental patient images, uh, American <laughs> mental patient images that we lifted. Because it spoke to us, because, you know, being from the Northwest, we all know about tattoos on the hand and what the dots mean, and we know about crying eyes and spiders and daggers and all those, what I would call, because we were fascinated with tattoos. And they're, to us, they're tattoo imagery, but they're handled and managed and drawn and visualised in a completely untattoo way. And that's what I wanted, was something that people go, what the fuck's that? <laughs> I remember saying precisely that. And, you know, <laughs> we redid the logo. This is, you can almost see yes. my hand in doing that logo. Did you um, do it with your finger there? No, uh, it, it's done with a broad felt pen. Right. And shrunk down a bit. What I did was just arrange it all and pick the colours because, again, it had to be reflective gold ink against that Bourneville red. I wanted to recreate the Bourneville wrapper but do it in such a way that you wouldn't know it was Bourneville and put it on the rack next to all the shiny, bright, poppy people with their lippy and their eyeshadow. <laughs> and suddenly there was that. And it worked. It did. No one knew why, but we knew why. It's because that cover is so questionable that it actually makes you drawn to it. Well, it's almost su suggesting the occult, really. Exactly. I always thought there was something a little bit like, I don't understand what's going on here because I don't understand the occult. We kind of didn't understand it, but we knew it, it provoked a reaction. And like, it was a very good visual illustration of what that music would do. It provokes a reaction. And with the single as well, just, just yeah. an extension. An of extension of the same campaign. And in fact, that is the first thing where we're getting a little bit more modern world, where the single is within the same realm, and it's obvious that the yes. single is within the yeah. same realm as the album, whereas we've never really done that with an album and a single. We've done it with singles, i.e. 12 inches different from the 10 inch, yeah. different from the 7 inch, different from the American copy, but this was the first time that it looked like an album and a single. Like and in a way, it's kind of, it's that factory, like a factory would produce it. So with these images, just to go back to those, yeah. are they straight lifts from the book? Were they literally scanned, or did you well, redraw no, them? I, 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 had, I had to redraw them because right. of copyright. Right, that was going to say, did you get... I have to get kind of licensing and stuff. In those days, no one gave a shy about that, especially if it was from a mental health institution. And it was a textbook, that was the interesting thing. It wasn't a book you could find on the shelf. Can you remember the name of the book? Yeah, it was um, something Mark, a fan had sent Mark, and I was like, here, this is great, use some of this. The best of album, or the singles yeah. album, if you like, um, yeah. 
I was talking before about some of the symbolism yeah. and about... This is all Masonic. Right, I suddenly, okay. from this period, I became very, very, not only interested, I became almost um, possessed by the idea of objet trouvé, or image trouvé, as I like to call it. And I became obsessed with Victorian Masonic imagery, so I would go out of my way to try and find cuts, snips, advertising, graphics, anything, especially copyright-free images, because because we were a kind of world band mm. with publishing and all that, it suddenly became very important that we had to do things properly. Mm. So I couldn't just steal something that I actually had to have a legitimate uh, find. And, you know, you, you read a bit about what the law says, and you realise that anything over 100 years old is absolutely copyright-free. So I started finding really, really... Well, images that interested me. Right. And Mark liked those images enormously as well. And rather than having Phonogram or whoever released this stick, just a, one of the biog photos on the front... Steve-O kind of manipulated the deal that they would actually have it designed by me and therefore it would be a proper soft-sold product because that, that was the thinking that if it, if it was a proper product um, if it was properly sanctioned by the band it should be properly yes. designed and yeah. packaged and everything else because so it's not that long that. is it that's 86 and when, yeah. was, when was the split 84 yeah something like that because there have been a lot of those yeah. those releases subsequently haven't there that have had yeah. stock photographs that's right. So was this? A, and you is, can tell. You yes. Can tell that, yeah. Is this um, um, a composite then? Thank you. Of different things, or is this a, a, a complete stock image? Uh, it's a composite. <coughs> Bits and pieces. Thanks. Um, thank you. That the the floor and the pillars uh, was one image. The eye was another image. Uh, the uh, coffin was another image. Because some of these images remind me very much of the stuff that you, you were doing with Mark in the early days, That's with right, the, yeah. the first album yeah, yeah, before yeah, you yeah. came back That's and right. you have and all of that stuff. Yeah. Except all those... Uh, Little uh, label drawings. Yeah, now those were, the, those were all hand-done. If, if it has um, a silhouette involved in it, they were hand-drawn by me. If it looks as though it's etched with cross-hatching, those were my found images. Right. I used to mix the two. Right. Is there a particular period that you look back on and think, you know, you were talking before about someone looking naive, but is there stuff that you look back on and think, I love that? It, it's horses for courses. I can't just say it's that and that. So with this, with this, this Say Hello Wave Goodbye yeah. image that that might be your favourite. Did that come after the video, or did the video follow your drawing? Um, the video followed my drawing right. because I, I art direct, I, I production designed the video. Uh, okay. So that's what I mean when I say you have a designer. You don't just have a designer to do your cover. Mm. The designer does everything yeah. that is a visual produced by the band. So if we're doing a video. I'm the production designer of that video, therefore I'm working hand-in-hand hand with the director. And um, did you do the other videos as well, then? Oh, the only video I didn't do was Betsy. Were there any ideas that you did that... That didn't that, have... <laughs> that were rejected? Yeah. This is a question I ask, I've asked a few people. Um, not by Mark and Dave, no. Just to outre for phonogram or... Everything we did was to outre. <laughs> really, really. 
Um, so was it always a fight? Yeah, always. Always a fight of some sort, but after a while you just didn't bother having a backup plan because you knew that they have to do what you wanted even though they didn't want to do it. Don't get me wrong, there were certain heads of certain departments that adored the fact that we were absolutely committed, entranced, obsessed with our image and how our image should look and what we wanted on the cover. And we always... The, quali- the qualification was, think of it, you're a fan, you want to buy one of everything. Why wouldn't you want to buy one of everything? And really, do you think it's fair to ask a fan to buy one of everything when it all looks the same? We were fans of music. We would have bought one of everything if it looked different. Therefore, we have got to give them something that looks different. So there was some marketing in, in it, and it wasn't Well, we purely. didn't know it was called marketing. <laughs> we thought it was just because we were fan, uh, people were fans of Mark and Dave that that was our present to them. That... Uh, it's like saying thank you. Mm-hmm. So you'll have three different images for that campaign to put on your wall rather than the one mm-hmm. that everybody can find in an advert in Jackie or NME yeah. and not buy it and just cut it out and stick it on the wall. The people that actually put their hand in the pocket, we wanted to give them something that they would treasure. <laughs> <laughs>